As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Oh, hey. Hello, welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am, I'm, I'm just Andy Behrens, uh, coming to you from, uh, currently from Southwest Michigan. I am joined by the great Liz Loza, coming to you from somewhere in the LA-ish area. Liz, hello, how are you? Hello, Andy, I'm good. It's um, wonderful to be joining you today. I like, I, I like the topics that we have to discuss. Do you? Do you like them? Um, they're forcing me on this podcast to discuss the Chicago Bears, and I've just been kind of rage watching a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of Bears clips, some press conferences, some camp videos. Um, we're in camp video season, which is terrible, right? Those it's your like favorite. it's your favorite. Oh my gosh, it's fun to have football back. It is not fun to have camp videos of dudes in shorts, unguarded, uncovered, like d- catching a ball and all of Twitter goes crazy about how Saquon Barkley or or uh, Michael Thomas or whoever is going to erupt this season because they managed to catch an unguarded pass in uh, in their first practice. Um, I, I hate this time of year, like in terms of <laughs> reacting to, uh, I don't know, I feel like I have to react to all sorts of all sorts of things that are non-news, that are not, not even close to being news. Uh, the Saquon thing was just killing me. It's still showing up in my Twitter feed. He he literally catches a pass in the back of the end zone with with no one else in the camera frame. And Twitter is like, he's back. Um, he's, I don't know. We don't know if he's back. It's a problem. I, I, I can't stand this time of year. We don't know if he's back. Um, we don't know. If, as Scott Pianowski likes to say, the cheese has gone bad. But we <laughs> can, based on the clues we've been given, estimate that he is probably going to see a lion's share of the touches. And since volume is king, people would like to know that that volume is going to be utilized effectively by the quadmeister. That's just what I decided to name that's him right what, That's what I should have said instead of saying that I hate this time of year I should have made the case for Saquon like I get it it's it's fun it's it's fun that football is back um but we're so in overreaction season so we're gonna we're gonna try to to I don't know we're gonna try to suppress the the overreactions here as much as we can which shouldn't shouldn't really be a problem because we're here to talk about the Chicago Bears we're gonna get into (laughs) Chicago Bears today and I don't have any overreactions available to you on the on the 2022 Chicago Bears. I just I'm without them. Um, I have nothing particularly bullish to say. Uh, we probably have some news that we need to get to before that. Twitter also erupted in recent days because Julio Jones is now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's kind of fun. I'm glad that Julio is is uh, back in the game. There were probably I don't know, I guess I would say there were there were two landing spots that would have been particularly exciting for Julio. One of them, obviously, Green Bay, and the other one, uh, uh, Tampa Bay. This is uh, there is an opportunity there, especially early in the season, depending on Godwin's health. Uh, obviously, Godwin injured in Week 15 last year. Long road back. He's active in camp, which is which is exciting. But Julio's an inner circle Hall of Famer and one of the greatest receivers of all time. I don't know, top five receiver, probably. He's incredible. He's also wrong side of 30, and he's missed a bunch of games over the last couple seasons. Everybody was down on him entering last season. I'm sure some of that had to do with his landing spot last year in, in Tennessee. All of the same people seem to be excited about him now that he's a year older 
and a little bit more injured, but he's but he's tied to he's tied to Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. So I don't know. How are you feeling about this? Did you move him in the ranks? What are you doing with him? I didn't rank him. I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't done it yet. It's really the right answer, I think, actually. I, I didn't rank him. I think it's, you know, as a football fan, very exciting that he is getting that Brady bump. And there is, as you mentioned, an opportunity before Chris Godwin returns. And not just, let's say, Chris Godwin returns, but returns to full health, right? Like, there is going to be some easing in, um, some management here, especially with Godwin signed to, like, a larger long-term deal. So I think that this is a great opportunity for Julio Jones. I also am more than happy to continue drafting Russell Gage, um, yeah. who I think might have many more opportunities. Here's the thing about the Bucks, right? Like you look at Mike Evans and the fact that he has, I mean, the guy has never not produced a thousand yard season, even if he's missed time, a thousand yards every single year, double digit touchdowns in four of the years that he's been a pro, both back to back with Tom Brady. But when you look at the targets, like Mike Evans is not a target hog given his production, right? Like he's got all of the high value looks, but he doesn't necessarily have a glut of looks. Julio Jones, on the other hand, we all know like can't score touchdowns. So I think like this is an opportunity for Julio to add some balance for Mike Evans. But when I look at, you know, which of these things is not like the other, and I note that Adam Schefter posted white that Ryan Jensen, the center, was carted off of the field at practice with a knee injury. And we also note the departures from that offensive line and Tom Brady's age. And I think about you know, how there's no, there's no Gronk, obviously. And yes, Kyle Rudolph's been added, but I think that's probably more of a, a, a blocking addition for that line to bolster it. The layups that Russell Gage is going to get, the safety blanket slot looks in the short to intermediate passing game to me are where the fantasy value is at, particularly given where he's being drafted. And now with the Julio news and the bump that he's receiving, I think Gage is still the best of these options. Um, I mean, he's not going to see, obviously, the red zone looks that Mike Evans is going to see. But I think that he's got enough after a juice after the catch to like, I, I mean, do you think I, could could Russell Gage flirt with 900 yards? Is it impossible oh, to believe that? Absolutely. Um, Russell Gage is like the perfect, you know, if, if you think about the, the type of slot receiver that used to yeah. erupt for Brady in New England, right? Like uh, Russell Gage could have had uh, 110 catches and 1100 yards in New England back in the day, right? He could have easily done that. I think he's a really talented player. Not, you know, he's not like a burner. He's not like some super special after the catch guy necessarily, but a technician. Brady himself actively recruited him. That's really exciting. I've, I mean, I've had Gage over Godwin throughout the summer. Um, I'm still like, again, it's been nothing but good news on, on Godwin. And I guess I would expect nothing but continued good news. I can't imagine they, they wouldn't take it slow with him though. And that given the timing of that injury and the recovery timeline that we normally see from that injury at that position, I'm still just a huge skeptic that he's really going to be available in any meaningful way in September those should be great weeks for Gage, but you know, we've, we've seen this offense again, as long as they can, as long as they can keep Tom Brady clean, they, they can support three pass catchers. They can probably support four pass catchers as, as sort of meaningful fantasy plays. And I think Gage is probably the most, he's just probably the best value. I mean, Mike Evans yeah. is great. And oftentimes uh, not necessarily, maybe not at Yahoo's platform, but like at other platforms, I'll, I'll see, 
I'll see, you know, we've just been drafting like Scott Fishbowl and all these other things that that take place in the midsummer. And I I can't believe where Mike Evans shows up in some of those pre-ranks, right? Like he's the most bankable player in fantasy. You said it. He's always a thousand yards with Brady. He's always double digit touchdowns. So he's great. But then Gage is definitely my second favorite receiver here. I will I will say. And this is just like me having a rooting interest. I would I would love for Julio Jones to go out big. I would love to see him have a Super Bowl season. I would love to see him have like he's not going to have a vintage Julio Jones season because like Julio at his peak was was just about the best athlete in the NFL, an 1800-yard receiver, utterly unstoppable. Probably not that guy anymore, but I would love to see him have another healthy year because I hate I hate for him to go out with like three seasons in which everybody just rolls their eyes and they say, oh, this guy can't stay healthy. Like we used to complain about him as a player who couldn't stay healthy, but he had six consecutive years in which he missed like four games. You know, like he was he was more durable than we gave him credit for. And oh, by the way, he was always finishing with like 1,400, 1,600, 1,800 receiving yards. Um, He's fantastic. So I would love to see him have a great year. I would love to see him shed this uh, this this label that's attached to him about you know not being able to score touchdowns. That was a that was an Atlanta problem. That was a you know predictable play calling problem. That wasn't so much a Julio Jones thing. I think. I mean, he's he's built for it, right? He's a huge receiver, huge catch radius, huge vertical at his best. Um, Julio Jones uh, in another in another system tied to another offense could have had 16 touchdown seasons. I mean, you can't tell me that vintage Julio Jones couldn't have done just about anything on a football field. So uh, I really like the player and would love to see him go out, you know, with a with a bang. I don't think he's especially fantasy relevant. I don't think he's you know, I don't think he's one of the top three receiving options there. We also have to remember that, like when Leonard Fournette was healthy last year, they were throwing to him like nine times a game like Brady loves throwing to that guy, too. So. It is. It's an offense that's going to produce a ton of yards, a ton of points. Julio is pretty clearly not going to be near the the top of the pecking order. Let me also ask you about Michael Thomas because I've mentioned him a couple times. He's back. So, like sometimes I feel like it's just it should be okay to just say I don't know. And I feel like I don't know on Michael Thomas. It's it's great that he's able to open camp. He had a historic season not so long ago. We haven't really seen him play. Not so long ago though. Kind of I mean, long ago. Well, in, in some ways, it's a lifetime ago, right? Because it was with Drew Brees and that, yeah. you know, like that's the problem. He he had a historic season with the most accurate quarterback of all time and somebody with whom he had like mind meld, right? But but this is Jameis. And um, Jameis was really good last year. Like we, we may forget, Jameis had something like 14 touchdown passes and three picks uh, in his whatever it was, six or seven games. Um, but he was only throwing the ball like 25 times a game. So I, I don't like, is that going to be the plan? Is Michael Thomas back to full health? Is he 85%? Is he 90%? I don't know. It's great to see him back on the field. I've ranked him. I feel, I don't know where anybody has anybody ranked. So I have, I, I got to say, I haven't really looked at ADPs yet. I haven't really looked at where the industry has whoever. I feel like I might be fairly conservative on Michael Thomas. I've got him in the mid thirties. I find myself kind of pivoting to other positions when Michael Thomas's name is next in in queue. But I'm interested. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm totally out on him either. I don't know. How do you, that was a very long question. I'm sorry about that. How do you feel about Thomas? I think I am less warm to the idea of Michael Thomas than you. I mean, I have him outside of my top 40. You know, I'd, I'd prefer to take Russell Gage, frankly, than Michael Thomas. Um, so right at that wide receiver 40 mark, I just looked at ECR and he is the wide receiver 32. 
and to contextualize, smack dab between Elijah Moore and Juju Smith-Schuster. I might want the upside of Moore, even in a bad offense, more than Michael Thomas. You know, I think when I've done shows with Dalton, we talk about upside players and how you want to moonshoot a little bit and you make... um, you become comfortable with the idea that that then requires you to work the waiver wire a little bit harder. I'm just not interested in delving into this morass. And if I want a piece of this offense with (laughs) Jameis Winston, like pushing everybody forward, I am more interested in Chris Olave, right? Do we want a re-injury here? How much rust is too much rust? How many questions do we have here? What about Sean Payton not being at the veil? What about like, Thomas's mercurial feelings about this squad and his ability to like maybe not be the easiest guy to get along with. Um, I feel like Chris Olave, given what we saw of him uh, heading into the draft, his precision, his technique, he is probably the most pro ready. Even if Michael Thomas is drawing coverage, that's great for Chris Olave. I love that Michael Thomas is on the field to help Chris Olave. I love that Jarvis Landry, who's getting up there in age, but is still a technician, is there for Chris Olave. Like, this is a great number two spot. And without Alvin Kamara on the field, there are a bunch of targets vacated, maybe not as much as many as we would have preferred there to be, but there are still opportunities. And I think that if that, if I'm looking Looking at a place to invest in this offense rather than waffling between, I don't know how I feel about Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, frankly, if I want any piece of Kansas City, I'm honestly waiting until Rojo, especially with the CEH pulling up on the pup news. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I don't know. I'd probably take Elijah Moore and that upside over Michael Thomas, but that's roster construction. I would. It's. Uh, I'm. I'm glad that you added some context to this and talked talked about the names that are available around Thomas. I am. I am probably pr- uh, relative to the end. If if Juju Smith Schuster is in the 30s according to ECR, then I'm very bullish on Juju. Um, I like. That's a case where I will take a swing on a player. I know he's only had one dominant season and it was a while ago, but he's still really young. Um, we're about to talk about the Bears. Like Juju was basically the same age as Bayless Jones, who the Bears just drafted, go. right? Like, oh, you got it in. Oh, you got it in, Andy. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll I don't, like, I'm going to root for Bayless Jones too, but I can't believe that pick. Anyway, that's not what I meant to talk about. Um, Ju- like Juju's a guy who's going to get triple digit targets in Kansas City's offense, and I'm going to take a shot there. Like, I'm going to take it earlier than I'm willing to uh, invest in Michael Thomas too. But I think you're, I think you're generally right with the Saints receivers. It, it might just be that the right answer is take a flyer with whoever, whoever falls. I don't know if that's going to be Alave. I don't know if that's going to be Landry. Landry's a good player when he's healthy, right? Like he's going to have some weeks. I don't know that that passing game is really going to support two or three guys week in and week out. So if, yeah, if, if I'm going to have to draft Thomas as like the first of the wide receiver threes, I'm probably not going to do it too often. I think we're in agreement there. While I've got you, and because I just want to, I just want to kick the Bears down the road, and I just want to, I just want to stiff arm them and not talk about them for as long as I can. Uh, let's let's talk about tight ends a little bit too, because you've been uh, like obviously you're our sleeper specialist, and you're kind of our tight end specialist as well. Um, and and I, we're just coming through. I mentioned it earlier. We're just coming through like the Scott Fishbowl drafts where. It's a tight end premium scoring situation. Everybody talks about what to do with tight ends. There's a lot of strategy to it. And and you collect them, right? It's the only league that I'm in in which you you might reasonably draft like two or three or four tight ends. Um, so I feel like I've really drilled down in the ranks over the past couple of weeks on, on the tight end position. And I got to say, I'm still like a, I don't know, the, the way that I prefer to draft 
I, I'm avoiding that entire like ocean of sketchy players in the middle. I would ideally, I would, I would land someone from the Kelsey through Dalton Schultz group, preferably Kelsey. I really like Kelsey. I've always liked Kelsey. Um, I, I don't think you have to take him in the first round anymore, which is, which is great. It's not really a hot take to say that you like Travis Kelsey. He's putting together one of the most impressive resumes in the history of the position. But if I'm, if I'm going to take a flyer, it's going to be really late. It's not going to be, I don't want to, I don't want to be the person who takes like the eighth tight end or the ninth tight end. Um, it's going to be late and I'm going to take a wild name. So I don't know. How are you approaching the position this year? It's interesting you bring this up because I just uh, wrote a mailbag article for the website. It published today. We're recording on Thursday at uh, 3 p.m. Central Time. And I was asked, what is the last tight end you will draft before throwing darts at the end of your draft? And my answer was Dallas Goddard, right? Like he yeah. is probably in that tight end six range. Um I'm interested in him. He didn't have the breakout last year that we were necessarily hoping for. But once Zach Ertz moved to Arizona, there was um, ample opportunity. There were more opportunities. I, I think he's certainly um, in a place for positive touchdown regression. Is it positive regression? I never get that right. Um, <laughs> right? Isn't it positive? Yep. Isn't yep. that just progress? By the way, like why right. do you say positive regression? How is it progress? He's going to score more touchdowns. That's this how you. Year that's how you play your analytics card. That's how you show that you're one of the analytics pros. You you say positive regression. Positive regression. Um. So I think he's probably the last guy after him. You have like Mike Gesicki, who uh, speaking of touchdowns, like ugh, not no thanks. And yeah, what do we want like when her? Mike Gesicki is the next ends? name in yeah. queue, I just can't do it. I'm like, yeah, I'll wait an hour. Or, pa or Pat Fryermuth is in that range. Zach Ertz is in that range. Like, and I understand like the Zach Ertz. See, that's the thing. Like everybody knows that Nuke is unavailable for the first six weeks of, of the season. So the group think, right, is like, oh, Zach Ertz is going to have a lot of volume. And so then his... ADP gets this like I think unfair boost and do I really want to bet on Zach Ertz for the first and that volume for the first six weeks of the season maybe because it's Arizona and they always fall apart for the last six weeks of the season but <laughs> um I you know I think for me Dallas Goddard would be the last of it he's like what is that like round five-ish I think he's going I, other than that though I am waiting until the double digit rounds where we have a list of names that you have strong feelings about <laughs> yeah, our producer John put a whole bunch of like the worst names I've ever seen in uh in our in our in our show notes. Um it's unbelievable. Uh this is an incredible collection of names. Like Brevin Jordan right at the top, right there at the oh, top. Oh, Dalton um, by the way is hearing you say that. Like I feel like Dalton just got <laughs> a tingle down his spine because he heard you say Brevin Jordan in the air. I will I will give you some of the names that I've been that I've been partial to. And and a couple of these are, are guys that I took flyers on in Fishbowl. Um, I like Irv Smith in part because I'm just super interested in the Vikings offense with with Kevin O'Connell. Right. Like I, I think this is a there's a decent chance of a 5000 yard season incoming from Kirk Cousins. Um, if they're going to be a little bit more modern and they're going to, you know, have three receivers on the field a little bit more, if they're going to throw the ball 600 times, that's fun. I think the Vikings offense could get really interesting. I think Irv Smith is a good player. Hayden Hurst is somebody that I have drafted when I've drafted Joe Burrow. That is a stack that appeals to me for some odd reason. Um, I think Mo Ali Cox is kind of interesting as an athlete, and it's wide open for like who exactly is the number two target in Indianapolis. They have a very clear number one, and it's not that clear to me who the number two is. Like I'm, I'm, 
I'm waffling on whether I should even say the name, but I will do it. Taysom Hill. Um, Taysom Hill, weird player. Um, I don't even know what his position eligibility is going to be going into the season. It probably should be tight end. He's, you know, he's not somebody that they're seriously thinking about at, at quarterback anymore. It sounds like they still intend for him to have that weird gadgety can't put our finger on it role, um, which is going to mean that he he's on the field when they get inside the five yard line. That's kind of fun. Don't know what to do with him. I would I would take a flyer in the deepest of all possible leagues. He's kind of interesting in that regard. But I don't know. Anybody there interest you? Anybody else on John's terrible list interest you? (laughs) Well, I like that you mentioned Mo Ali Cox. I alluded to being higher on him than maybe the consensus when I did the Denver Broncos preview earlier in the week with Frank Schwab. Um, You mentioned his athleticism. I don't know if you know this, but he played basketball. Um, (laughs) That's a fun fact. Just how you know I'm an expert in the field. I would I would uh, never draft a, a tight end who didn't previous who wasn't previously a powerful. That's a fair They're point. The only who, good ones. who are these people? You know. <laughs> uh, um, so I think that's interesting. Also, he just signed a three year deal. Like a lot of these guys are on one year prove it's, and the fact that once Jack Doyle, Jack the Dad Doyle, and his forty targets <laughs> left Indianapolis, Mo Ali Cox gets a three year commitment. Okay, that's telling to me. There's a lot of new pieces, obviously, in Indianapolis. And and I think Matt Ryan, like we know how much he loves the tight end position. That might be a bit of a crutch argument if Chris Harris is listening. But I think that that <laughs> is something I'm interested in. Like, I, I don't know. I think like he could probably, I think he could probably draw like 75 looks. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. I think he, he scored... Like on 40 targets, 43 or something targets last season, he scored four touchdowns, which is the same number as the aforementioned Dallas Goddard. So there's someone that I'm liking really, really late. I also don't mind Austin Hooper, right? He's not like watching him move is like watching your uncle at somebody's wedding. You know, it's (laughs) it's not the smoothest. He's not, he's, he definitely has got that like underbite and tries to like pretend like it's the early nineties still, but, um, (laughs) they're back as well. Uh, so that's not always the most like smooth move, but there's 150 targets vacated in Tennessee. Like I'm not really high on Traylon Burks given his like skill set. AJ Brown's not there. And I can just, I mean, can't you just see Ryan Tannehill and Austin Hooper, like hanging out in the back of a pickup truck and like, (laughs) talking about bro stuff and just connecting like this feels very simpatico to me and he's not that far removed from a a giant year in Atlanta so I I think that's another name that people are because he was hot and then he moved to Cleveland and was buried with Ninjoku and so he didn't get like a full opportunity so I think that that's another low volume sure but another person that I'd take later. I really did previous to recent reports like Robert Tanyan a lot. I stumped for him on the pod. He was put on the pup last Friday. It doesn't necessarily, of course, when you're put on the pup, we should, you know, clarify in training camp. It doesn't mean that you're not going to play for the first six weeks of the season. You can come off of it, but it does make his week one availability a little bit sketchy. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit off of that. And I should say Albert O is someone I like a lot. Um, I am getting more and more worried, though, that there just might not be consistent enough opportunities to support him in the way that we were initially believing. 
also because there's somebody there's somebody in every draft who wants to reach for Alberto, right? So like if you if you want him, you got to specifically target him, and he's he's not necessarily that end game tight end that you might want to take a swing with. I really like I really like Hooper as a name. Um, that was a good call too. He's not obviously is an athletic specimen. He's not exactly Mo Ali Cox, but he's kind of in that situation where like we have no idea who the number two target in that offense is going to be. And why wouldn't it be Austin Hooper? Um, he could draw, he could draw 90 targets this year, 95 targets, and that could easily lead to half a dozen touchdowns. And if you do that, you're, you're probably sneaking into the top 12 at the, at the tight end position. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We are the best, shuffling crew, shuffling on I, okay, I put it off long enough. We gotta, we gotta do it. We gotta talk about the Bears. Um, they might win a game this year. I don't know. We'll start with the uh, additions and subtractions on this team. I don't even know what to call Matt Nagy. He's a, he's technically a subtraction, but obviously subtracting Matt Nagy was a bit of an addition. He's gone. Allen Robinson is gone. That's a blow. Not that he did anything meaningful last year. Nick Foles gone. Andy Dalton gone. Damian Williams gone. Tariq Cohen gone. Um, oh. Jimmy Graham and Jesse James are out of the picture. Like. Finally, they've they've pruned the tight end bush a little bit in Chicago additions. And this is where this is where the team gets interesting and also horrifying. Obviously, we have a new coaching staff. Matt Eberflus comes in. He was the former D.C. in uh, in Indianapolis. Luke Getze is now the offensive coordinator. He's been almost a Green Bay lifer, right? He was Aaron Rodgers' position coach. What does it mean to be Aaron Rodgers' position coach? Do you re- like? Does he really get much much of the credit for Aaron Rodgers winning MVPs? Maybe I don't know. We're about to find out if he knows anything about play calling or designing an offense. the The names in this receiving core that they've added are incredible. They're sketchier than John's list of tight ends. Um, Nikhil <laughs> Harry, Byron Pringle. Okay, I don't hate Byron Pringle. Um, Dante Pettis. It's like a it's like a where are they now? If you if you want to play where are they now with receivers and they they end up in the league, they are almost certainly on the Bears. Tajay Sharp, Equinemius St. Brown. Um, they bring in James O'Shaughnessy at tight end. It's you know none of these names are particularly exciting. I should also mention that over the past couple of days before we started recording, they've they've added a couple of offensive linemen whose names you might actually recognize: um, Michael Schofield and uh, Riley Reef, which is good. Not that these are difference making players. But they are credible NFL veterans, and the Bears were facing a prospect before camp of maybe having to play some of these like fifth, sixth, seventh round offensive linemen that they're taking flyers on. Like some of those guys were going to have to start, and now at least they have you know names we can feel slightly more comfortable about. It doesn't seem like the offensive line is going to be particularly good for Chicago, but it's it's a little bit better. They're they're patching it together a little bit better than it, it seemed that they had before. I guess where I want to start with the Bears, and this is this is also an unanswerable question. And it's fine to say that we don't know, but how are you, how are you feeling about the coaching staff based on what you've heard so far? Again, we've not we've not actually seen these guys do the jobs that they were hired for, so a lot of it is guesswork, right? Like we we don't we don't know what Eberflus's uh, game management is going to be. We don't know how he's going to be like challenging calls. We don't know how uh, aggressive he's going to be. 
when it really comes time for the head coach to make decisions. And we don't know what a Luke Getzey offense looks like. So it's fi- it's fine to say that we don't know. Um, just early impressions of the of the coaching staff. Well, I think it's very on brand in that Eberflus is a defensive minded HC. Um, I think he did an incredible job rebuilding the Colts, which was certainly a team where the, um, the whole was much better than the individuals on the squad. Um, I love that as a, like, as someone who grew up in Chicago, like I love that. I love that there's a ministers of defense kind of vibe (laughs) around that. That's what it should be, right? Like we've never, my girlfriend lives in Sid Luckman's old house. Like there, that's the best quarterback we've had, you know, is that right? She does. Yeah. Oh my my girlfriend, Amanda, I think you met her. Um, she lives in, they're gutting it right now, by the way, across the street from Ravinia. Um, is it haunted? She, is Sid's ghost like wandering the halls? <laughs> no, but they are. Is Sid even dead? It. He's probably dead. I don't know. I think so. His <laughs> photo is black and white. Like they, they don't do sure. black and white photos unless it's a filter anymore. <laughs> um, but, but this is not a franchise known for its offensive prowess, right? So from that perspective, as a Bears fan-ish, as an off-and-on, again, Bears fan, um, Sid <laughs> died in 1998 for our producer. Thank you, John. Um, Thank you. So I, I like the branding. I'm a little bit nervous, though, that this might have some John Fox vibes, right? Because <laughs> as you mentioned, Getsy is 38, so we like that he's like a younger guy and per Aaron Rodgers can relate to the players a little bit better. But we don't like that he's never held a clipboard. We don't like that he's never called an offensive play. So in those situations, I wish there was an OC that had a little bit more experience play calling. I also think, though, that, like, LFG, like, who cares? Like, it's never worked. Like, we Nagy came from the reed tree, <laughs> and who cares? Like, let's just design some damn runs for Justin Fields like we managed to do towards the end of last season. Let's install some RPO. Let's find some, like, deep passes for Darnell Mooney to, like, take the top off of a defense. And let's let one of these big bodies on the outside do some, you know, Michael Crabtree-type work and, like, just just – pull defensive attention like I, I think it was I, I don't mind Equinemius St. Brown like being the guy on the outside who like probably should take some yoga and stretch a little bit more but is a big <laughs> enough body to give some relief to Darnell Mooney who you know again in fantasy if volume is king he's in line for the crown he managed a thousand yards on the opposite side of the field with Allen Robinson, a shell of himself last year. I also don't think that Darnell Mooney, despite the fact that, I mean, he's got like a top 11 route win rate. I don't think he's an alpha. That makes me a little bit nervous for like this long-term position, but I I don't think he's going to see a thousand yards this year either, because I think that hopefully Getsy decides to focus a little bit more on the run. I think what we can expect, like best case scenario out of Justin Fields as a Jalen Hurts type situation from last year. That is the best case scenario for Justin Fields. I don't think he's going to average 30 pass attempts per game, but I do think he could like manage seven, maybe nine rush attempts per game. It's almost wild that you say that because I I just recorded before we started podcasting. Um, I just recorded preseason fearless forecast for quarterbacks. And um, that was that I don't, I don't even give very many comps. But that is what I said about Justin Fields is I could see as his ceiling something that looks a lot like Jalen Hurts in 2021, right? I think long term, like Justin Fields has, 
He's got some traits as a passer that I think are are plainly better than uh, than Jalen Hurts. Sure. Um, and I it's not like you it's not like you saw it consistently last year. But there wasn't a game that any rookie quarterback put on tape last year that I thought was any better than Justin Fields against the Steelers um, and that comeback effort. It was great. Like some really well-placed balls, um, got great arm strength. He makes a bunch of mistakes. Like rookie quarterbacks are going to make a bunch of mistakes. And that that doesn't even really bother me. I think for the most part with rookie quarterbacks, I just want to see proof of concept that this is a that this is a real pro and that this guy has like pro skills and that. I think they were back-to-back games, the Steelers game and the Niners game. Like the the touchdown run that he had in the Niners game is as good a run as anybody had produced all season, regardless of position, right? So, like you saw what he could do as a as a rusher. Um, we caught a glimpse of what he could do at his best as a passer, and I think it was really promising. I don't know that Jalen Hurts has that sort of passing performance in him. So I think I think Justin Fields to last year's Jalen Hurts is a is just a really good comparison. I don't think it's he's just got to stay healthy because he definitely if we're going to get an offense that is is built around his skills and that's where, you know, that's where I'm excited about the coaching staff. My my real reason for excitement about the coaching staff is that it's not last year's coaching staff. You know, it's not the it's not the crew that didn't give Justin Fields enough time with the ones in camp, even though it was mm-hmm, clear mm-hmm. that at some point Justin Excellent Fields point. had to play. Yep. It's not the coaching staff that didn't adapt its game plan to his obvious talents and limitations. Right. Like he's. News well, flash. what's interesting about that, He's though, not Andy was, Dalton. Yeah, Jalen Hurts' coaching staff was reluctant to do the same thing. There definitely yeah. seems to be this um, old-school mentality that if you cannot replicate as a pure pocket passer, then there's no hope for you, right? And we're seeing, like, we saw mid-season, well, what about week, week like, seven, I think-ish, in Philadelphia, the, like, turn. The, like, ah, I think we would like to, like, maybe not die on this hill and win some games. <laughs> And so it took a regime change for that to happen in Chicago. But I am liking you made an excellent point about him not being able to practice with the ones at the top of last season um, or last summer. And so now going in, it's novel concept to have a scheme that fits the skill set of your franchise player that you stole in the flipping draft. Let's invest in this now, even if it doesn't look like uh, Joe Montana did in San Francisco, however many decades ago. Yeah, I was going to, you know, but before before the additions of, again, a couple of boring veterans, Riley Reeves, Schofield, um, it's not that exciting. But I was going to really light up this offensive line, which was just plainly going to be probably the the league's worst, I would say now. I, I still think they're going to be bottom third in the league, but I don't necessarily think they're doomed, um, which means I don't necessarily think that Justin Fields is is absolutely doomed um, because obviously the combination of very young quarterback and, and terrible offensive line is just really bad. Like that's a bad mix. And so maybe I'm not maybe I'm not as panicky about the O-line as I was, you know, a couple days ago. I am still pretty darn panicky about the receiving core, though. I think you phrased the the like Mooney as a player almost almost perfectly. I don't I don't think of Darnell Mooney as a number one exactly. Um I don't think he, you know, like you, you think of all the traits that you know, the exceptional trait that you might get in in Tyree Kill, like the the any route, any place on the field talent that you might get from from Cup, from Justin Jefferson, guys like that. Like he's not that level guy. Is he, you know, can he be Amari? I don't know that he's Amari Cooper either. Like, I feel like, I feel like all the great teams 
have a receiver in a secondary role who is roughly equivalent to Darnell Mooney, but he just happens to be the best receiver on the Bears right now, which might mean 120 targets, 110 targets, something like that. But man, the the rest of these guys, like Pringle is fine. He's a he's a pro. He's good. He's had some moments. I understand what they're doing, taking these swings on all of these reclamation projects. Um, maybe maybe Nikhil Harry is the most promising, but he just didn't show a thing in New England. Um, there's just not like all the other names on this list. I can't like I just I, I can't. The NFL surprises us all the time and there's breakout players that we never see coming. And maybe it's going to be one of these guys. I just I can't put my chips on any of them. I don't know how you feel about this receiving core. Basically, I'm asking you to convince me that it's not the league's worst. No, it's the league's worst. I'm trying, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about. Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah, because I really like Robert Woods, too. I was thinking that the Titans might be up there as well. But I do like Robert Woods quite a bit. And we were talking about Jalen Hurts. And I also think that if you look at the Eagles last year and um, Devonta Smith, like he was also put in a situation that I think Darnell Mooney is in similarly, right? Like there's no no physical presence to kind mm -hmm. of battle some right. of the coverages that he needs. And he's not a physical player. So one of these bigger bodies could maybe, I mean, not <laughs> Tasha Sharp withstanding, um, <laughs> one of these bigger bodies <laughs> might be able to do that. But the thing that Hertz did have last year was Dallas Goddard. And I think it's curious that you keep not wanting to talk about Cole Komet here. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. Um, All right. Proceed. He's, You're the host this week. Okay. You're the host. I'm going to sit back. Okay. Well, I thought, I, you know, I actually thought when we were talking tight ends that you might bring up Cole Komet. Um, I, he's, he's uh, problematic for me is what I'll say. I see a <laughs> lot of hype about him. A lot of sure. hype about him. Um, I would love to be able to join in. He, he has not distinguished himself. Um, like they've tried to make him a thing in the past. No. Granted, not no, with great quarterbacks. No. He's he's had long stretches where he gets decent target totals. They've thrown the ball to him in the in goal to go situations and red zone situations. And um, he, he to this point in his career. And I, you know, as I say this, I can hear Matt Harmon in my head telling me that drops don't matter. But he's not like this is not some sticky fingered tight end. Right. Like this is not uh, best hands in the business sort of tight end. I think he could be a thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of targets available here. Granted, it's going to be it, presumably a, a you know, sl I think maybe slower paced um, run heavy offense, but he could still see 90, 100, 110 targets, something like that. And that is really useful at the tight end position. I just have not been he's not one of those guys that's really flashed for me in the past. And obviously, I I, I either watch or I rage watch the Bears every week. And I he just. He just hasn't jumped out to me. I, I can see the volume argument for Komet. I'm probably, there's almost always going to be somebody who wants to reach for Komet ahead of me, though. I will say that. So I, I love this cogent, fair, and balanced analysis. My issue with Komet and not wanting to make him a thing is that I don't think that that's being fully fair. When we look at how Nagy decided to call a play and then when there was an end zone opportunity, it was Graham who got the snap, right? Like, like there was a rotation and Jimmy Graham caught 14 flipping balls last year and three <laughs> of them were touchdowns. Like, yeah. I don't need to be a calculus major to understand what that ratio looks like. So I do think that Komet, it is a volume argument. 
my fear, which I'm not hearing a lot of people talking about, is that like last year we were all super high on TJ Hawkinson, who which we can all agree is a better talent coming out of your Iowa, University of Iowa, right? Like, you know, TJ Hawkinson, incredible talent. One of the first, like, I remember, oh my God, he's a baby Gronk. He could do all the things, oh, wise <laughs> and uh. and um, And yet, so we were excited, like myself included, about him in Detroit because it was the volume argument. And then defense is adjusted. So defenses are going to adjust. And if Komet doesn't have the hands that even Hawkinson has, what good is the volume if the efficiency is so mediocre? And I guess the answer is it doesn't matter because you're taking Komet in double digit rounds, maybe nine, yeah. maybe the ninth round if somebody really reaches right. But you were having to take Hawkinson in the fourth or fifth. And so given the value, like I have Komet projected for 55 grabs, 550 yards and five touchdowns. That's top 15 territory. If I'm getting him in the 10th round, I'm okay with that. But I do think you make an excellent point about people being very excited about him for the third year running, second year running, and maybe over-supposing. Here's a question. Would you rather have Cole Komet or Mo Cox? Yeah, I, I would definitely rather have Mo Cox where I'm getting him, right? Which is the yes. the just the absolute end of the draft. Um, there's not, you know, you're not competing with people for Mo Cox. Almost every time I see Cole Komet drafted, somebody else in in draft chat is like, damn it, great pick, you know, right? Like there's always a couple people that are kind of in on Cole Komet. I think the offense itself is probably a little more interesting. And maybe that's just me being a pessimistic Bears fan, but I I certainly think that the Colts offense, there's a there's a greater opportunity there um, than perhaps there. I mean, there's a lot of targets available in Chicago, don't get me wrong. But I again, with the Colts offense, I look at it and I'm like, OK, I totally know who the number one is. And that guy might get 150, 160 targets. I have no idea who the number two is here. And it, why can't it be Mo Ali Cox or why can't Mo Ali Cox get so many high value targets and be the guy that they zero in on when they're, you know, goal to go situations, red zone situations. So. I'm a little bit more interested in him. And again, that's the that's the huge gap in uh, in price that does it as, as well. Let me ask, what's, what's left? Dave Montgomery. What what the hell are we doing with Dave Montgomery? I've got some shares. Um, I feel like he's one of the few guys in the league, you know, last year, four running backs reached 300 touches. That's it. Like, there are no full workload guys anymore. It's super rare. Um, we at least saw under Nagy that they, you know, didn't, didn't always happen for Montgomery because he, you know, he'd get dinged up and then he'd battle through injuries. Bears have some capable people behind him and he's not, he's not the flashiest back, but the bears definitely wanted to ride him. I don't know that that's going to be the case. Like Khalil Herbert was pretty good last year. The team has made some noises about wanting to have a rotation or a bit of a rotation. I still think that Montgomery is probably the the best of them. And there's a there's a reasonable chance that the Bears would want to get him, you know, 270, 280 touches. That's out there. Any running back in this era who has a chance at a workload like that is is pretty valuable. He goes, I, I want to say, I think a bit ahead of the RB dead zone. Right. So we don't have to think of him as one of those guys round five, round six, where it's just a total minefield. Are you in? Are you out? Do we think this is going to be a super run heavy team? In all of the drafts I've done, I have zero shares of him. And <laughs> if I'm being, but if I'm being totally transparent, it's because he's going, you know, kind of in that spot between Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers. Like that's the area in which he's going. Um, and I think. I, think I would, sorry to interject, floor. I would definitely rather have Zeke or Fournette well right. ahead of Montgomery. 
I'm still formulating an opinion on Cam Akers because he wasn't great last year when he returned, but he shouldn't have returned, right? So, uh, but those first two names, yes, give me those guys over Montgomery. So I'm in I'm in a similar boat, and I tend to find like that I'm not really drafting my RB two until maybe round five ish. I'm trying to get a lot of Aaron Jones in like the second round, and then waiting a, a bit and and getting Brees Hall a lot. So. Am I being swept up in the newness of Brees Hall, who I will absolutely admit is tied to a questionable offensive line and a questionable quarterback and probably not a good offense? Definitely. But I like the workhorse appeal and I like the volume and I like the talent. And so as my RB2, I think I'll take that. I think the problem with Montgomery is that he's just, while he's not He's attached to a bad offense, and while he has absolutely unequivocally evolved his skill set and become a much better runner than he entered the league ads, yeah, it's just so much heavy lifting, and it's like gross feeling. There are no highlight <laughs> reels, right? Everything looks so flipping hard. Everything is just like running through mud, and so he hasn't had the flash that maybe he deserves. I think he's a fine floor option. I am, however as you alluded to, more intrigued by Khalil Herbert. And that is a target for me much later in drafts and someone that I am willing to reach on because you have to imagine that anyone who drafts Montgomery is also planning to additionally invest in Herbert and own the backfield. I would rather reach around and get Herbert and spoil those plans and have more of a you know modified zero RB strategy when constructing my roster. Not just because of the like, drumbeat out of camp but because of what he posted last season when Montgomery was hurt yeah I I really like that name as a as a zero RB target or as you know as, as you're suggesting you like to get you know you might like to get one running back really early and then just take some flyers late and you know I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to draft because we've a point that we've made on the on the podcast before you, you know the last couple of years like the golden ticket players in fantasy Cooper cup last season. Think of Stefan Diggs the year before, like the overall wide receiver one we're finding in like rounds four through seven, right? Like you don't, you don't necessarily have to get that guy at the top of the draft, but you do need to take flyers like in that sweet spot where a lot of super sketchy running backs go. So if you're, if you're somebody who's like, Oh man, I I'm still managing as if it's like 2010 or 2005 and I got to get my three running backs in the first three or four rounds, right? Like it's probably not the way to go. You're, you're missing some big opportunities at wide receiver. Um, if, if you're man, if you're, if you have a zero RB build or something like it, Herbert is just a really good name late in the draft because he's, you don't even have to make the, the, you know, oh, he's one injury away from a significant workload. Like he might get 10 carries a game right out of the gate. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me a lot if this team just wants to run until an opponent, you know, basically takes the run away. Um, I, like that, that's entirely possible. Herbert could have a role while Montgomery is rolling. And then, you know, obviously if anything happens to him, he could be, he could be great. He's going to be a guy that we're talking about in the, in the waiver pickup show. I love it. Let's, um, Let's not talk about the Bears anymore. Let's talk about a different subject that is bumming me out. And that is, um, well, I'm going to let you, I don't know. I'm going to let you deliver the news. It's your announcement to make, so I'm going to let you make it here. Tell us the thing. <laughs> the thing. So, um, so, so seven years ago, I can't, in July of 2015, July of 2015, I was a baby. The incredible, <laughs> generous, sincere, and let me say, 
uh, absolute seer of things, Bob Condor, uh, called me and offered me a contract position for the upcoming fantasy football season. And I had a reaction similar to the one I'm having right now. I couldn't believe it that years after starting a stupid little blog and having a <laughs> podcast with my friend John and his stupid cat, um, <laughs> I was going to be able to um, shout out to the X's and Y's podcast and John Evans, by the way. I think that damn cat is still alive. Um, <laughs> we were going to be able, I was going to be able to work at the best place in the industry, the place that I came to as a fan. I mean, I started the Fantasy Football Girl in 2009 after watching FFL with you and Brad and Brandon 90 minutes before kickoff every Sunday to help me set my own personal lineup. And it inspired a career change and so many different things. And we chatted on Twitter and Andy was generous enough to take me out for beers. Gumball, I will never forget. I got to ride <laughs> in his black Jeep Wrangler through the snow in Chicago when I was home visiting my parents. I also remember having a beer with you being like, oh God, I have to have a beer too. Andy's having a beer. I'm going to have the same thing. <laughs> not knowing that I did not have the tolerance to do that. And um, also remembering me a little bit drunk on the drive home. You drove me back to like the train station or my mom's office or something. I was a little bit buzzed and being like, just keep it together. You're with the titan of the industry. Keep it together, Loza. Wow, titan. But you were generous. And that was well before Bob Condor called me in July of 2015. Um, since then, I got to be here. And I got I, I say that as like it was a gift. I got to be here. Um I feel like I have had so many incredible opportunities and experiences and learned a whole hell of a lot, not just about football or X's and O's, but about human nature and people and the politics of media. <laughs> and um, I think working here has protected me largely from that last thing. Um, everyone has always been wonderful. I'll never forget when I told everyone that I was expecting Lennox, my baby girl, and how happy I felt like she had all these uncles now. Um, and nobody like othered me or made me feel uncomfortable. Jason Klabaka, our manager, has been nothing but supportive. It has been wonderful to work with a team that understands there is life outside of work and who is not only like supportive of that, but encouraging, like, go take your time off, you know, be with your kid. Halloween was on a Sunday last season, and I took the afternoon off to go trick-or-treating with my kids, and that was not met with any sort of pushback, and just that entire energy has been wonderful, but I also recognize that all good things have to come to an end, and new chapters are available, and they say that life unfolds in seven-year cycles that your cells completely renew every seven years. I don't know. Tell that to like my under eyes, but, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's been seven years. It's been wonderful. And, um, this is my last week as a member of the Yahoo fantasy team. This is my last podcast. It's fitting that it's with you who's been here longer than any of us. And, um, I just appreciate the space to grow and learn and, I am excited to share with everybody which, what comes next and that'll be for the future, but for, and there is something, um, but for right now, I am just reveling in the friendships made and 
the bonds created over the last seven. Can't first of all, can't believe we, we made you talk about the bears on your last podcast. That's <laughs> kind of a twist the knife um, that was totally unnecessary, and I apologize for it. Um, <laughs> on I don't know on a personal level, like I certainly nothing changes for me. We're we're staying in touch. Um, I can't imagine not staying in touch. Um, I can't wait to see you again at some random fantasy event. Lord knows there's plenty of them in the industry. That's going to be good. Um, professionally, and I know that I speak for absolutely everyone at Yahoo who's ever interacted with you or intersected with fantasy in any way, like it's just been, uh, it's been a gift to work with you. It's been great. You're a total star. You're great at this job. We do not have very many people in fantasy who are great on any platform in any role, um, you know, writing, podcasting, video, interviewing, like um, non-fantasy nonsense. Um, you've been adaptable to like any wild situation that Yahoo puts you in and they've put you in some wild situations, <laughs> right? Um, I, I honestly, like one of the things I am proudest of in my own time at Yahoo is just nudging some people to take a look at your work a few years ago, right? Like, um, there's just, there's just no question. You're gonna, you're gonna crush it at the next stop. Everybody knows that I am jealous of the people who get to work with you next. Super sorry to see you leave. Also, also thrilled that you are getting a new audience to, to entertain. And there's a new audience that gets to know Liz Loza. So, so that's definitely exciting. Everyone who's ever worked with you at Yahoo is going to miss you. You treat people well. You treat everybody well. It's been, again, it's just been, it's been a total pleasure. Um, I'm glad I had one last chance to, to trash the bears with you on this platform. <laughs> I don't know who's going to keep Dalton Del Don's ego in check now that you're gone. Um, no one could do it previously. No one's going to be able to do it after you. Um, and I, you know, like everyone else, I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you, Andy. Um, I said this on another podcast, but of all of the people, like all of the people that I've met in my life, I don't really care what a lot of people think of me because <laughs> I just try to, it's true. I just try to be a good person and hope that that like comes out in the wash. So if you don't like me, like I know I tried to be kind, but your opinion of me has always mattered and will always matter. And making you proud is something that has like motivated me for my career. And I don't think I've ever said that to you out loud because it's embarrassing, but there's a screen between us. So I feel like I can tell you now that, <laughs> you know, you've been an incredible advocate for me and also an incredible um, mentor, even if you didn't volunteer for the job, whether it's um, in your work. I remember reading an article that you wrote about Kenny Britt and how he was Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Fisher's reclamation project. And I remember thinking, man, he's so smart. And then you used reclamation project again on today. It was perfect. <laughs> Full circle. I was like, damn, if I could ever be that smart, if I could ever write that well, and I can't, but you know, whether it was your work and your, um, life as a partner and a father and a parent has certainly informed the choices that I've made and some of the words that you've said to me, um, you know, when the babies were babies, as they continue to grow up a little bit, um, have been really, really helpful. And I will say that something I said in one of my meetings over this process was, I am really appreciative for Andy Barons because he taught me how to 
make everybody look good. He's never been selfish. He always elevates everybody and it just makes the whole team shine. And so I hope to do you proud at the next level. And I will certainly be, you know, using that from the Aaron, Andy Barron's playbook as I venture on. Oh, this is really hard to respond to. Um, <laughs> we don't have real... to keep going. I mean, the, people are probably like, can we end the show now? It's cold commit it or is... nothing. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it is so hard to see you leave, but I'm super. I mean, I'm just super proud of you. Like you, uh, I don't know. I tweeted it like you, you definitely came on board as like, just like a high upside prospect. And now you are I like, nobody does this job better. So I like, I'm talking about you like you're dead. You're not dead. You're just going to a different platform and it's going to be awesome. And you're going to produce a bunch of great work. And I'm going to continue to, to watch and be, and be super supportive and proud of you. You're like the best at this. Thanks, Andy. And now I have to wrap up a podcast after that. That's absolutely ridiculous task. Um, you should be following Liz on Twitter. She's at Liz Loza underscore FF. You can follow me if you like. I'm merely at Andy Barons. Of course, you should be following at Yahoo Fantasy. I say it every week if you're not doing it by now. Like, and you stuck around this long in the podcast. Like, what the hell? Come on, follow the, follow the account. Uh, we're going to be back early next week with a preview of Baker Mayfield's Carolina Panthers. And uh, a special announcement about the future of this podcast while wow, we're full of special announcements lately. Um, until then, we are out. 